you've got to be able to educate yourself on a regular basis, not only of what's going on in your own real estate market, but what's going on all around you, and then make an educated decision for yourself rather than what you know some other pundit on TV might tell you. So Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. With me, excited to have Sean Morrissey. Sean, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Todd. Thanks for having me. Yeah, awesome. Well, I appreciate you being on. And a little bit about Sean. He's a buy and hold investor and real estate broker. He resides in uh, Aurora, Illinois, uh, Chicago area with his wife, two kids, dog and a cat. So you got the smorgasbord house. Uh, you got, yeah, you got, yeah. Got everything. Busy house. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sean, he started uh, investing in real estate as a landlord back in 2003, got his real estate license in 06 and opened up his real estate brokerage. On 2011, the Chicagoland Realty Group Partners LLC. Uh, and since 2010, he's managed up to 200 single family homes while building his real estate rental portfolio in the suburbs of Chicagoland area. And uh, I'll, I'll let you go from there because I don't want to keep on talking about your accomplishments, but why don't you give our listeners a little bit more? Yeah. About yeah, your accomplishments, what you've done, yeah, where you've gone. Yeah, start. you betcha. So yeah, I, like you'd stated, Todd, I got started back in 2003, um, you know, just got involved in some different RIA clubs. Um, ultimately, my, my dad gave me a book on using real estate investment as a tax shelter back in 2001. And that's really what kind of drove the itch and understanding, you know, what is this tax shelter stuff. Um, so yeah, I got involved in some RIAs. Ultimately purchased my first property about 18 months after getting involved in the RIAs, just a two-bedroom, one-bath here in the, the northwest suburbs. Um, purchased another property a year later, another property about 18 months later, and then um, purchased property with my wife in 08, right? When everything kind of hit a screeching halt. Um, was it was able before, to like, was it, was it a cheap house foreclosed or was it still high-priced? You know, all of it was because when you get started, right, you don't have, to, you don't tend to have lines of credit, the ability to yeah. have lines of credit or cash in pocket. A lot of it was pretty, it was pretty turnkey stuff, right? Or Got ultimately I, I found an opportunity or, um, you know, I guess a delta between the asking price and what I can get in rent and then obtain mm -hmm. a profit. So a lot of it was fairly turnkey deals, nothing, nothing too creative, very, very steady Eddie. For yeah. lack of a better word. Um, so 2008 came, you know, line of credit froze. Um, ultimately, banks just kind of said, all right, well, we're not lending anymore. And it was right around that time, 06, 07, when I got my real estate license with the intent of being, you know, having it make me a better investor. Um, hung it with a Keller Williams here um, in the western suburbs of Chicagoland area. And, you know, when homes weren't selling, uh, what I decided to do is, is kind of take a twist on things and basically help folks rent their home rather than, you know, selling traditionally at a loss or through short sale or foreclosure. So that was that was kind of my niche. And, um, you know, that that carried itself into 2010, where I decided to start doing third party property management at that point. Um, come 2011, you know, due to changes in the brokerage and my own goals, um, decided to open up Chicagoland Realty Group Partners. 
Um, you know, we managed some properties for Fannie Mae at that point. I mean, if you think about those days, homes weren't even selling at the foreclosure level. So Fannie said, hey, listen, let's, let's keep the tenants in the property. We'll bring in a property manager and we're just not going to flood the market with inventory, which should just drive the prices lower. So we, we helped maintain, you know, I think it was roughly 80 homes here in the Chicagoland area at that point. But come 2013, you know, the market was changing, sales were picking up. Frankly, uh, Fannie had a, an awful lot of red tape when it came to managing inventory. So we, we kind of let that go and then just focused on the individual investor and the, the mom and pop who might have been underwater on their mortgage at that point and help them rent, manage their home with the idea that if they had a, you know, really at that point, like a five to seven year hold frame, that we'd be able to sell that home at a profit for them and, and act as the broker. So, you know, did that almost exclusively through 2013 and then got back into the investment game where I started buying foreclosures myself as the banks opened up and I had some access to lines of credit and stuff like that. Um, come 2018, we had roughly 200 properties we managed. Um, I ended up selling that inventory to another brokerage and then taking those proceeds and buying some small multifamily. Um, and that's, that's kind of what I do today. So I, uh, I act as a real estate brokerage. I provide some property management consultation with the idea that I might get back in the property management game in the next year or two here, depending on where the market goes. Um, but I'm, you know, more, mostly a landlord these days with, uh, with an agency business and, um, and I'll continue to really grow that way where my, my, my buy and hold real estate will act as the, the wealth generator for me um, and provide the, the monthly income. And then the agency brokerage transaction will be the um, subsidiary to that as well as, you know, potentially some property management income on the side. But, um, you know, the game of property management has changed in a lot in the last 10 years due yeah. to technology, just like other industries. So um, it, it's becoming more of a, uh, a space of efficiency for the landlord if they, uh, you know, if you wanted to go down that rabbit hole at all. Yeah, it's funny that you say that. It was just, I just had a conversation with my brother uh, yesterday, last night, and he was asking me, like, oh, how much time did you spend on these properties? He hasn't invested in any properties. And, and he's like, how much time did you spend on these properties? And I said, well, first of all, when it first got started, the, the technology just wasn't there. And I, that's, I explained the exact same thing that you just said. I'm like, look, there's, there's now there's cheap or free software that you can manage your tenants from. There's, yep. there's just so much more out there where it's just way more efficient. I mean, look, tenants were not, you couldn't do video, like the video. Yeah, sure. Could you do it? But ten, every, every single person had to come and see the place. Now we'll have tenants that are just like, they watch the video. They're ready to go. If you've exactly. got a really good video, you've got really nice pictures. You've got a good presentation. They don't even need to see it at times. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's kind of a weird world we're in, especially with this, this COVID-19 stuff and what it's done to leasing, where ultimately, if you have a tenant that occupies the property, but they plan on leaving within 60 days, most of the time they don't want to permit showings, right? Or they're going to be very limited as to what they'll allow because of fear of getting the virus. So that forced our office, just like yours as well, I'm sure, to say, all right, well, we're going to do like a, like a Facebook Live video or some kind of video. We're going to post it to a web page. That'll be our virtual walkthrough. And then anybody who's interested can apply off of that. And the way we do it is if you apply and you qualify, 
at that point, we'll set up a private showing for you so that we don't inundate that resident with, yep. you know, 50 people that want to come that weekend. So it's, uh, it's forcing us to find efficiencies where, you know, eventually when this pandemic passes, we'll probably just stick those in place. I mean, they, yeah. they create such great cost saving measures, especially on the leasing end with that example, that uh, there's no turning back. Yeah. I mean, talk about time savings right there. And that's what we're all looking for in our businesses. How can we save time and how can we create more efficiencies? And if you don't have to do 50 showings, like you said, if you don't have to do 50 showings and you can just do one or two or five even, I mean, wow, you just, just cut your expenses down drastically, cut your time down drastically. Uh, And that's where, you can start to create a lot of, a lot of positive momentum. I mean, leasing is expensive, especially if you're hiring it out. Yes, exactly. I mean, if you think about the, the realtor commissions involved, or just having somebody on staff that's showing those, that's a, that's a major expense. I mean, if you'd like, there's a, I can go into another, another service we've started yeah. working with. And um, it, it's one that I think your listeners will find to be quite useful. Um, well, there's two I'll mention actually. So the first is when it comes to repair calls. Um, what we like to use is a service called Latchel, um, L-A-T-C-H-E-L. Um, and in essence, they act as your, your call center, right? So they give you a, a phone number that acts as your repair hotline. And then that repair hotline you provide to all your tenants. Whenever they have a repair need, they're going to call that particular phone number. They'll speak English or Spanish. They'll break down whether the call is deemed an emergency or not. And as you can imagine, most of the time when folks call with a repair need, they say it's an emergency, right. <laughs> but it's really not, you know, if it's heat related, yes, if it's water related, yes. Um, but, you know, hard to see too much past that. Um, the door, the so doorknob that, is loose. Yeah, doorknob is loose. <laughs> uh, light bulb needs to be changed. No, mm. I don't think so. So, yeah, so the, the, that's that's a great service. And they're, they're doing, they're, they're getting more creative with their services. And again, they're, they're creating more efficiencies for the landlord or the property manager. But the other service we just started- so, let, me, let me interrupt yeah. you real quick on that, on, on Latchel. Do they provide the maintenance people or options for the maintenance people? Or do you, does that then go to your maintenance people that you have? How does that work? So you, yeah, you could set it up either way, actually. So you can keep your own maintenance people and you've reduced cost with Latchel because they just have this your call center. If you want to use their maintenance people, which we don't do, um, you know, it's it's significantly more expensive, sure. um, you know, per unit type of cost. So, um, you know, you can explore that and see how how it fits into your own portfolio. But at least it's it's an option, right? Where, you know, 10 years ago, the tenant was calling you you know, or calling my cell phone if need be. And then I've got my Rolodex of, of vendors. Um, now we're starting to get to a point where it's becoming even more streamlined at less of a cost, which ultimately hits your net operating income, right? And savings. And now your building's worth more. So it's it's stuff like that that, that really excites me. But but the other service I was going to mention is uh, it's it's like a, uh, a leasing automator, I'll call it. So think of... The last time you leased a property, how many inquiries you got on that property, right? I mean, for me, depending on the price point here in the Chicagoland area, it could be 25 a day, or it could be on a higher price point, price, price property, maybe five to 10 a day. Regardless, it's taking time out of my day, actually calling those people, emailing those people, et cetera. Well, there's a service, you know, I was just on the phone with them last week called LetHub, and they're, they're trying to 
find some efficiencies there. So in essence, what they act like is a autoresponder or, uh, you know, I guess the word going around these days might be chatbot, something of that nature, where in essence, you set up the, the automation questions to pre-qualify those tenants. Those tenants respond to those. And then if they qualify, they're, they're taken to the next step, which might be to your website. It might be to that particular landing page or an application, but you get to kind of decide how you're going to pre-qualify those tenants with the idea that you don't have to call them and say, hey, when are you looking to move? Oh, not for six months. Well, why did you inquire on this property anyways? You know, now, now you can actually have a, a chat bot do that for you where the folks that are only qualified at the end are the ones that are left on your desk so that you can, again, save some time, dollars and, and so forth. So that's, that's another service we're just looking into launching in 2021, but I'm, I'm super excited about it because I think it'll save us all sorts of money and uh, time, especially. Yeah. Talk about getting rid of some of the monotony, right? I mean, you, you get that. I can remember taking the calls myself um, and you know, you get the same exact call every single time. And you, you gotta, you gotta ask the same questions or text message, whatever it is. And it's like, okay, you know, how, how many adults, how many kids? All right. Yes. You know, and then you, and then you go on to the next question, you know, any evictions or unlawful detainers. And then the next question yep. and, and same thing every single time yet, if you had this chat bot, this leasing, you know, program, well, boom, they're, now they're qualified. Now they come to you and you got these qualified people that you don't have to ask any more questions. You just set the showing up or they get the link to the virtual showing. And you know, I like it. So yeah. Yeah. That's something to reduce that, uh, that back and forth that you shouldn't necessarily have to have. Right. Yep. Yep. I mean, it's, it's all finding the efficiencies, right? If you can find where those are, you're ultimately going to be able to, uh, you know, ideally decrease expenses or time, which will be reflective in your net operating income. So that's, yeah. that's, that's really what I'm excited about going into 2021 outside of the fact that, you know, we're on the cusp of a, a market where we should see some opportunities when it comes to, to deals and stuff like that too, I think, um, at least so, here in the Chicagoland area. So let's talk about that. Obviously there's, there's mixed opinions on it uh, always, right? Um, what are your thoughts as far as you, you said, you think there might be some opportunities What are your thoughts with that? Yeah. And I think it's going to come down to, you know, asset class or what's your, what's your niches, right? So, sure. you know, naturally if you're chasing, you know, let's just say multifamily here in the Chicagoland area, you know, there's not a whole lot of mean on that bone. You really got to find a, a diamond in the rough to, to have it work. But here in the Chicagoland area, if we look at if we look at what's happened with um, you know foreclosure sales, for instance, where in essence, you know, since March of this year, um, all of our counties have basically stated, you know, there's an eviction moratorium. We're not going to allow properties to be sold at the the county courthouse uh, for the purpose of you know selling at a at a discount or going back to the bank as a foreclosure. So we've got now what is it, roughly eight months of inventory that's just been sitting there decaying and eventually that stuff's going to hit the market you know and i'd like to think in the first quarter of 2021 by the end of the first quarter depending on how things shake out so we're going to have this you know what i'd like to assume is going to be this massive supply coupled with the fact that we've got folks that have been in forbearance or landlords that haven't been able to collect a rent check that are probably you know sweating a little bit 
that are going to add to this the supply effect. Now, I don't think it's going to be any 2008 all over again. And frankly speaking, the, the financing market, I think, is still very healthy with all the, the money that's been infused in the system. But at the end of the day, if you focus on that foreclosure market, if you're focusing on the you know, less than four units that typically sell at your, your county courthouse, um, depending on what state you live, I, I think there could be a ton of opportunity there. Um, yeah, so that's that's something that you know I've got on my radar for 2021, and um, you know just keep my keep my ear to the ground and hope that these eviction moratoriums kind of come to a, a slow but eventual end. Yeah, yeah, that makes more sense. I mean, uh, you know, when when you mention it like that, uh, I don't, I I, ne- I never thought there was going to be this huge glut of foreclosures due to forbearance, but it's probably going to add some. But when you just look at the purely the regular foreclosure cycle. I mean, people get foreclosed on it. doesn't matter when in the market it is. Uh, they get, you know, 2019, there was still foreclosures. 2018, there was foreclosures. Every single year there's foreclosures, but now there hasn't been. And if it, if these have opened back up, let's say end of first quarter, 2021, it's for, that's an entire year where there hasn't been a foreclosure. Those are going to come in to the market and you're going to have opportunity. Basically, you're going to have a whole year's worth of inventory coming out pretty much at once or, or within a short period of time. So that, that yeah, makes I, a lot of sense. It might not be 2008, like you said, all, all over again, but for the savvy investor, there's probably going to be some opportunity. Yeah. And, and you know, and I've tried to think through like, is there any means in which the banks can slow that supply down where they release it slower yeah. like they did back in 2013 where we were managing properties to slow that supply down so maybe that stuff happens but i think at the same time too it'll be interesting to see where these these big national players these these hedge funds where they're at in the marketplace if they're going to come into the chicagoland area perhaps and basically just suck up portfolios mm-hmm. from uh from banks for for homes that are in foreclosure and default yeah. so that's that's going to be interesting too because it's uh it's becoming a, a more competitive marketplace for the mom and yeah. pop investor, I feel. And that's, that's, you know, something to keep an eye on as well. Yeah. It's become even single family has become more institutionalized. When you look yeah, at the markets, I mean, you know, multifamily went through a lot of the institutional uh, kind of changes back in the eighties and nineties. Uh, mobile home parks are starting to get, go through it a self storage, single family, um, so it's, it's interesting to see this, these changes, these institutional buyers coming into all these segmented markets and taking advantage of some of that stuff. Yeah, it's, it certainly is. And um, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where it'll be, and I'm fascinated to see how this plays out in 20 years. If we just become a, a nation of renters because of that type of model, or if there'll be maybe some regulation that comes into play to, to help you know, keep the American dream alive of home ownership, or, you know, I just, I'm, I'm a little lost as to where we're going to go with, with these, these hedge funds and owning, you know, portfolios of homes throughout communities throughout, throughout the U S. So, well, you know, and, and they have to be able to cash flow them and operate their systems properly. So I think there, a lot of that comes into play too. Like, is it, is it really that lucrative for them to own these houses, especially as prices increase, you know, does it make sense? Are they going to continue to buy uh, and hold these portfolios or is it kind of the, an experiment that's going to just fizzle away? I, I don't, I, I'm at the same point. Like, I don't know where it's going to go 
Um, yeah, and, and you know, I thought initially, you know, when you think when they when they came into our marketplace, you know, seven, eight years ago, I figured they'd be a buy and hold for five years and then yeah. sell. But I don't I don't see those. They haven't sold. Not that I've sold. picked up on. So it's yeah, not that I've picked up on. So it's it's a very yeah, it's a, it's it's an interesting model. So we'll see. We'll see where it goes. They came into our market, I'm sure in your market. And they they were I remember getting a call from I think it was American. Can uh, the homes for rent, American home for rent? Yeah, that's it. And I I got a call from them. They wanted to buy a couple of my properties and the prices Uh, they were willing to pay were just crazy. It was just like, you guys really want to pay that price for my property? Like it's only worth 130,000 yet. You're okay with paying 180? And and so I'm like, yeah, I'll sell it. You know, go. You guys can buy it. And I, but I asked the guy, like, what are you, what are you even doing? Like, and I told him, I'm like, you, you guys, this is stupid. Like, what are you doing? He said, look, all we want to do is make six percent. That's it. We we don't need to make more. We don't we don't care. We just want to make six percent. This is this is what we're doing. And so he said that this meets our criteria. They ended up not buying these houses because they they had such a tight box that these houses didn't quite fit in the box. Once we started going through the details, you know, they needed okay. three bedroom, two bath, um, a certain amount of square footage, like everything had to be a certain age, everything had to fit in this tight box. Um, but it was really interesting to hear that conversation and like what they were modeling and thinking. And I'm sure the same thing was going on in Chicago as well. Yeah. They bought a lot of houses. Yeah. Yeah. They certainly have. And, um, you know, I, I don't know if, if you've gotten any feedback, but I, I guess the impression I have is that ultimately they don't, their management style may not be the best is either. And I guess I shouldn't go off on that tangent too hard, but it, I haven't been particularly impressed by the management there. Yeah. So it's, uh, and that's the name of the game, right? In order to, you know, buy and hold, the hold part is the hardest part. You've got to be able yeah. to set up the systems and meet your, meet your 6%. And, um, you know, I guess the time will tell. That that's where I question: Is this a long term uh, thing in single family? It's such a, you know, they're trying to take and and make a industry that's very fractured into an institutionalized industry, but it's yes. a very it's just very segmented. I mean, the single families are just spread out. That's just it. And how do you manage them efficiently? It's not a it's not an apartment building that has five hundred units in one complex. It you know, you're spread all over the city. So it'd be interesting to see. Um, so for, for you, what do you, what's the, your focus now you're picking up a smaller multifamily. When you say smaller multifamily, what classify that for me? What, what's that mean? Yeah, it's usually less than like 16 units. Um, but you know, it all, it all depends on what, what crosses my desk. Right. So this, this summer, you know, I had a 34 unit here in town cross, cross my desk. Um, ultimately it wasn't much of a value add play and, um, what the seller was willing to disclose was very little. So, you know, the deal fell apart. Um, right now I'm, I'm chasing a 12 unit, uh, in another suburb here in the Chicagoland area, uh, kind of an interesting type of deal in that, you know, six units were entirely renovated, uh, just within the last two years. And then the other six units are down to the studs. Um, the seller unfortunately passed away about a year and a half ago. So the property has been in a state and, um, you know, the, the play there is to ultimately get the occupancy permit from the, the city, fill those six units within the first 30 days. 
and then within the following 60 days to 90 days, ideally, um, renovate the other six to a uh, similar condition and then get them rented out, refinance in the long-term financing and, uh, and hold it. So nice. that's uh, that one, that one should be a fun one. Um, but you know, you've, whenever you go into a village with a, a project like that, you got to know what you're, you're getting involved with because each village is a little bit different. So that's, that's kind of what we're working through right now with, with our due diligence. Yeah. And especially I, I would imagine a, a place like uh, Chicago, that's, you know, big city, probably a lot of the regulations, uh, it's different everywhere. You got to know what you're doing. Yeah. And you know, what's, what's unique about the Chicagoland area, in my opinion, is that, you know, I feel like a lot of folks say, um, you know, Illinois, and they just kind of say, oh, it's a tenant friendly state, right? Yeah. Um, what I what I believe it to be is, you know, city of Chicago, Cook County, where Chicago sits, mm -hmm. is certainly um, tenant friendly. Um, and I tend to stay out of the city proper for that reason. Um, Chicago, Cook County, very tenant friendly, right? Um, but once you get outside of that, I tend to find that the collar counties and then going throughout the, the west of West Illinois, south into the borders of Illinois, um, they're all landlord. I don't want to say landlord friendly, but they're certainly reasonable. Right. Yeah. Um, it, you know, similar to what I'm sure you experience in Minnesota. So it's it's one of those things where ultimately I, I think Illinois gets a, a stigma as being a, you know, a tenant friendly state. But it's all relative to where you live. And, you know, Chicago is, is much more stringent than, than Illinois as a whole. Like, yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, there's, there's one example I'll give regarding that this eviction moratorium thing going on right now. Right. Basically here in Illinois, we cannot evict outside of um, emergency type of scenarios. So yeah. if the tenant's creating a crime or yeah, a yeah. serious hazard yeah. to the community. Yeah. So having said all that, City of Chicago says whatever Illinois does, tack on 60 more days. So where our window right now might be, you know, what is it? Middle of December. It might be middle of, you know, if the fiction moratorium was the end of day, it would be middle of January for the folks in city proper. So it's uh it's it's just a crazy thing. Mm. Um see so being sensitive to where you're you're buying and holding is uh is really the name of the game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we have similar, not quite, not that exact, but we have similar things going on right now in, in Minneapolis and in St. Paul. It's uh, they're very, very, and especially just within the last, you know, two years becoming extremely tenant friendly. And I won't, I won't buy in those proper, those city properties, unless I get like a crazy smoking deal, which doesn't happen. So I'm not, I'm doing the same thing. I'm not looking within those, uh, cities, but the the surrounding communities are just fine. They're they're not enacting the same regulation. So very similar yeah. thing. You've got to know where to invest for for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So Sean, as a as a business um, standpoint, like what have, what have you done? We've talked about some efficiencies. We've we've talked about how you've um, are creating some better systems. Anything else that you've done that you can pass to our listeners that you really think um, they can learn from that's allowed you to grow, whether it's your brokerage, whether it's your property management company, whether it's your investing, um, what kind of things have you put in place that you really think uh, would help our listeners out? Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you what, I, I think, you know, if your listeners are like my listeners, right, for, for the podcast I host, 
ultimately the decision they're making when it comes to, to getting involved in real estate is really the decision of like, do I want to be an entrepreneur, right? Do I want to, um, you know, set up an LLC, an S corp, whatever the case might be. And it's really filtering through that process and figuring out who they are as an individual before making that jump. Having said all that, I, I do think it is critically important that everyone take a stab at owning some form of business. And I mean, when you own a piece of investment real estate, in essence, you're owning a, a, a minute business, a very small business. Yep. But by doing so, by setting up that LLC, by setting up the, the appropriate business structure, now you get to start to see the, the advantages of actually owning a business, yeah. uh, be it you know the tax advantages, um, you know, what's, what's required when it becomes part of that LLC or that S Corp. And I think that's, that's something everybody should do in their young adult life is, is get that set up, get that going. And then I think different avenues in life start to open itself up to you when it comes to other business opportunities. So that, uh, I think that that would be the principal factor. If folks can do that, they'll be able to take the next step when another opportunity comes along that is, uh, you know, bigger than their W2 job. Yeah. I like that. And I, I agree. I mean, real estate is such an easy, I shouldn't say easy, but you can get into it, you can leverage it. And it, it's, it's truly a business. And it's, I try to tell that to people. A lot of people like think of it as like this, like they don't think of it as a business. They think of it that they're owning real estate. Well, you are, but if you've got tenants, it's a business. Like it's truly a business. If you're trying to make money, it's truly a business, right? Yeah. Um, and so you need to operate it. And now it's a mini business, like you said, especially if you're buying a, a single family or a duplex or something like that. But at the same time, you can do a lot of the same things. You, you, you should be putting in systems. You should be trying to increase your efficiencies. You should be, you know, using Latchel and, and um, you know, some of these other software systems that are around to try to actually create more of a business um, approach. So I think that's great advice. Um, what's a mistake that you've made uh, throughout here and, and how, how have you learned from it? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing that comes to mind is I think of, of 2008, right? And, you know, and I was, I was fortunate enough to kind of overcome some hurdles um, given that time period. But ultimately, I, I think the principal mistake for me and probably so many, so many of us at that time was we just didn't understand the market, what was going on in the market, right? So I think myself, I think there's probably a flood of other investors, frankly, that going into 2020, seeing this pandemic unfold, seeing how, you know, the word recession has been thrown around a lot, we're able to wrap our heads around the fact that we need to look at not only the real estate market here locally, but look at the other facets that play into that and understand where our economy is as a whole so that we can make an educated decision of, should I continue to buy in this market or should I sell in this market or just do nothing, right? So I think that to me is, is what stands out first and foremost is you've got you've to be able to educate yourself on a regular basis, not only of what's going on in your own real estate market, but what's going on all around you and then make an educated decision for yourself rather than what you know, some other pundit on TV might tell you. So that's, yeah, that's, 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 that's what comes to mind. Yeah. Great, great advice. And it's, you know, it's look, it's, I think it, we all think like I've, I've heard a lot of people, beginners and even seasoned investors like want that, want that crash to happen. Right. They want these deeply discounted properties because they're going to swoop in and buy everything. And I think 
always kind of laugh because when I started, I was naive. I didn't know any better. I started buying these properties. They were deeply discounted, but everybody else was telling me there's no way I should be buying these properties. Seasoned investors, other beginning investors, everybody else was, was, and I'm, my guess is that same sentiment was being said back in 2005, you know, 2006 is like, man, I can't wait till the market crashes because I'm going to swoop in and buy all these properties. And then the market crashed and they sat on the sidelines and they did nothing. So it's, it's like, I look at that and go, man, I, we really want to try to prepare ourselves to be ready. Like, how you know you you mentioned education what is there, is there anything you're doing to try to like prepare yourself to be ready are you, you you're not sitting in the sidelines right now what do you No, do? i mean you know it's so much so much of it you know just to continue on my point regarding you know understanding markets and stuff you know i i think especially in the modern world right there's just so much there's just so much noise i'll just leave it at that there's so many sources of information different especially opinions that yeah, oh, especially today. So at the, the end of the day, your head's just kind of spinning, right? But when you go to bed every night, you've got to be able to sit down, filter through that, and then make a decision for yourself and understand who you are as a human being and what your goals are in real estate. So yeah, if you would have bought in 2007, like I did, right? Um, a single family home 20 minutes from where I live. I mean, ultimately the plan was to lease option that over a five-year period and then have it sold. Well, you know, naturally that all fell apart do the market. But because of the fact that my, my hold frame has always been, you know, till death, you know, buy until you die, there really is no bad market. Now, yeah. if I plan on only holding the next three years in the year 2020, I better be careful about what I'm picking and choosing here because of the fact that, you know, there's cash flow that might come from that potentially, but I may not see any appreciation. So figure out what your strategy is and then figure out the type of properties that are going to fit into that mold. Um, you know, going back to what you said, Todd, I mean, you can listen to the people all day long, tell you it's a bad idea to buy now, but they don't, if they don't understand your strategy, then their opinion's worthless. And again, if you, if you go in with the mentality that you're going to hold the property for a long period of time, I can't see how you fail. I mean, it's, it's one of those where, you know, between principal pay down, the potential of appreciation, cash flow and then the tax benefit, you'll always end up on top. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I shudder when I hear people say they don't care about cash flow. They just are, they only care about appreciation. I'm like, man, I guess that's your strategy, but that's, that's not a strategy in my opinion. We, we got to look at the long term, and if in the short term, and, and I buy for appreciation. Look, I'm not trying to not have a property appreciate. Uh, my goal is to push force appreciation of buying good markets that are going to appreciate. But at the same time, for me, it's got a cash flow. For you, it's got a cash flow, and the appreciation that's awesome when it happens. Yeah, when it's it, the cherry on top. I right. mean, at the end of the day, you don't count on it, but man, it'd be sweet if it's there. And um, and at the end of the day, it, you just got to keep in the back of your head that it's it's speculation, right? Because you don't know what the future is going to bring. Um, but, you know, based on your your studies of particular markets, you can kind of make assumptions as to what's going to play out. So that's, you know, that's the way you approach it, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, like it. Well, cool. Um, so, Sean, we're going to wrap up here. What's a favorite book that you can uh, give to our listeners? 
Yeah, I mean, my favorite book this year has been one that I actually heard it on a podcast or two. It's called The Wealthy Gardener by John Safonic. I'm going to pronounce his last name wrong, but Wealthy Gardener. Any kid that's graduating from high school this year, you got to buy this book for them as a graduation present. And the whole the whole idea behind the book is that it's teaching the, the principles of, of wealth while teaching good character traits behind that. So um, yeah, definitely, definitely a good book for a young adult, but even as an adult, um, it's good to look back and say, you know, here's who I am now. Here's what I can do to improve myself. And yeah. boy, I wish I would have learned this sooner. <laughs> oh, cool. Oh, great book. Um, how do you like to give back? You know, my, my favorite way to give back these days is, is through my own podcast. I mean, I, I host a weekly podcast and I try to make it as, as content rich as possible, with, with minimal, you know, advertising. So, um, you know, I air that every Monday, Landlording for Life. Um, and that's, that's a ton of fun. I tend to learn a lot as I'm interviewing folks, but at the same time, supply you know, all that content to listeners. So I, uh, I love that stuff. Yeah, cool, cool. It's a good podcast too, by the way. So Landlording for Life. Um, last question before we wrap up, what are your three pillars of wealth creation? Yeah, you know, and I, I thought about this a little bit. I mean, at the end of the day, when I think of, uh, you know, where I'm at now and where I want to be and what I'd correct and whatnot, and you try to look at it from a, a grand scale, right? You know, the first thing that comes to mind with, with a pillar is that, you know, you need to have, you need to understand who you are and set those goals behind who you are, right? So we can call it vision, I suppose, to some degree, but it's really having goals in place that align with who you are as a human being. Right. So we'll, we'll leave that as number one. I love, I got to interrupt you. Cause I just love what you said. Goals in place that align with who you are. So many people try to put goals in place that align with somebody else and not. Yes. Ones. And you know what? And just to go down that rabbit hole a little bit deeper, you know, what I've, what I've come to realize as of late is that so much of our goals are built around money, right? Because it's yeah. an objective thing. Like I'm going to make, X amount of dollars at the end of this year. And that's, that's great. I mean, I tend to do that same thing, but unless you understand how you're going to get there and then how it's going to change your lifestyle, that's, that's, that's ultimately that great area that we should focus on. So it's, it's one of those things that, you know, I just learned this on my, um, through my own bad experiences, right. Where it's like, I'm going to do this then, but I don't take into account how it's going to affect the others in my life and myself and my own lifestyle. So, so much of that is, uh, is gotta be accounted for. Um, so that's, you know, for me, that's pillar number one, pillar number two is, I mean, it's gotta be working towards passive income. I I tend to do that day in, day out. My goals tend to be focused around it is finding businesses, finding real estate, finding systems. Like we talked about earlier that allow me to be more efficient, I suppose. Um, but, but really with the end goal of, of creating that fuel, which would be passive income. So I can, better control my own lifestyle. And that's, that's really who I am. I'm a, I am a financial freedom guy. I'm the guy who likes to wake up in the morning, do what I want to do. And I'm not necessarily fueled by titles or by, um, by, by dollars necessarily. It's, it's yeah. gotta be, you know, this is life, man, this is it. So that's, that's number two. And then number three, you know, I kind of touched on earlier, but I think every day waking up and finding a way to make things more efficient, if it's not for your own business, if it's for, you know, improving your family life, um, you know, improving your spiritual life, finding ways that we can get one second more out of our day is, is, is so important. So, 
Yeah, so it's really finding efficiency, finding uh, ways that to fuel our, our income streams in a passive way, and then you know setting goals that are based around who we are as an individual. If you can do those three things, I think you'll you'll end up you know end up pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. I love them. I love them. Well, Sean, look, it, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. I appreciate you joining us. Um, how can our listeners get in touch with you, uh, learn more about what you got going on? Yeah, I mean, you can you can start by checking out the website, um, uh, the podcast, I should say, uh, landlordingforlife.com. Um, you know, we just aired our 60th episode. So nice. um, we've been having it going for a little while now. And it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Um, and then, you know, I'm a real estate broker here in the Chicagoland area. If you ever wanted uh, to explore the Chicagoland market and see the opportunities there, our website is chicago-realty-group.com. Awesome. Well, Sean, again, I appreciate you joining us. Appreciate the, the time you're able to spend with us. And uh, you have a fantastic rest of the day. Thank you, Todd. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you being a loyal listener. Say, I would love to have you go on to our Facebook page and subscribe, uh, give us a thumbs up, go on to iTunes or wherever you listen and give us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe. It's a rating and review just helps us push this out to more and more people and continue to grow our audience and hopefully positively affect a ton of people out there that really need this and, and want this. So uh, the other thing I've got for you is a free ebook on my website. So go on to venturedproperties.com, venturedproperties.com and download our free ebook uh, on real estate and on syndication. And I've got some data points in there, some really good stuff for you. So I'd love to have you take a look at that. It's free. I'm not expecting anything from it. Uh, and, and also look, if you want some help in multifamily, want some help learning, growing, getting your business off the ground, I would love to talk to you about what it would look like, uh, to work with me potentially and see if that's a good fit. So you can go up to coachwithdex.com and check that out. And, uh, we can definitely have a, uh, a call. Thanks a lot for listening. You make it a fantastic rest of the day. I'll catch you on the next episode.